ago we had our Vision Sunday and we, had, we were talking about the special focus this year about family. This is, this is the little blurb that we have, that we want to continue to become a church where everyone can find a home. A church where we find family and experience community no matter who we are. A church where we know one another deeply and share in each other's triumphs and each other's tragedies. And one thing that families do together is they spend time together around the table. And that will look different in many different ways. And we are in a series right now called Table Conversations. We are focusing on some of these encounters in the life of Jesus and where he used significant moments to, uh, to, around the table to share about him, himself and his kingdom. And he used it as both the place and the tool, teaching tool, to be able to do that. And last week, Dave Luthie kicked off our series. He spoke about how it is that we are to view each other, that we are to look at others when we sit across from the table from them as if they were Jesus. And, and Jesus makes it clear that when we welcome others in, it is like we are doing that for Jesus himself. And Dave showed us this is really central to the heart of Jesus. It's this way of viewing others as our brothers and as our sisters. And, it, and Jesus says if we do this, that, that he will welcome us to that ultimate banquet with him in eternity. So that's a really quick, quick recap um, from what we spoke about last week. If you haven't caught up, I encourage you. Technology is great. You can go and uh, jump on our website, catch up on all of our sermons and our messages and the series that we've been going through. I'm going to change tact straight away and talk about categorizing things, specifically categorizing people. Now, when it comes to categorizing people, I think there is almost an unlimited amount of categories that we can use. Hear me out here. There are the obvious things when it comes to categories, things like ethnicity, so our, our race, our nationality, how we look, maybe, how we speak. You know, there's nothing like a room full of Americans and listening to an Aussie say, how's it going, mate, is there? Um, there's a, a class is another way we categorize um, ourselves. You have upper class, middle class, working class, class, and then you have other um, ranges of subcategories, I guess you could say, like royalty and celebrities and VIPs and these kinds of things. Opinions. This is another way we categorize ourselves, is using opinions. And in fact, we're going to do this right now, really quickly, okay? We're going to put a picture on the screen, and here is the the question that you need to answer. What do you think is the correct way... (laughs) to hang a toilet roll. Hands up those who think it's over. Okay, I'm getting a good look at the, yep. Hands up those who think it's under. Okay, under is definitely the minority here in this. And I've got to tell you, under people, you are absolutely 100% incorrect. You're wrong, that's right. Jokes aside, you can see how we use our opinions to separate and divide us. Behaviour is another thing that we do. The way we behave will often lead to creating separations. And then there's the not-so-obvious levels of categorising people. So I I like to go for a walk down at Sandgate Waterfront, uh, like many of us do, I'm sure, when we're blessed to live down by the bayside. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed dog owners 
walking along the footpath, and they'll have their dog, and they'll walk along, and there'll be someone coming in the other direction and there's, with a dog on a leash, and inevitably what happens? Well, the dogs smell each other, and, and then the, they stop, and the owners start talking, and automatically they are just in another um, dimension. You know, they're just talking about their own dog. There's this light. They're, they're dog owners, they're very different. If you're not a dog owner, you kind of don't understand what is really going on here. I actually thought they had like a bit of a club when they first started. I'm like, what's going on down here? Um, we categorize based on things we like and things we do, and these are normal, natural things for us to do. In Australia, and in much of the world, we like to celebrate the diversity. We like to celebrate the differences that we have. But the interesting thing is, I think we want to celebrate all of these differences. We want to give them recognition, give them a platform. But when it comes to associating with others who are different, that's another story altogether. Because the reality is, generally speaking, in life, I think we're not always willing to associate with others who are different from us, whether it's the colour of our skin or the class you belong to or your opinions on politics or religion or whether you barrack for Collingwood or Carlton or whether you're a dog walker or a cat walker. It doesn't matter. Whatever the differences are, we tend to move away from those who are different to us and move towards those who are similar to us. Birds of a feather flock together. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy and celebrate people and, and, and things that are similar for us. We absolutely can do that. But if we choose to distance ourselves from those who are different to us, that's a different story. And today, as we open God's Word, we're going to look at this account in the life of Jesus where He sits at a table and he shares a meal with others. And we're going to see what it is that he has to say and how it is that he acts towards those who are different from him. And so we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 7 this morning, and we're starting from verse 36 through to verse 50, if you want to grab your Bibles, and it will also be up on the screen. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's read together. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet her feet with her tears. Wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Straight away, I think, this passage starts with a really obvious but interesting observation. And that is that Jesus, he's invited to have a meal at a Pharisee's house. Now, we know Pharisees oppose Jesus. They dress differently to him. They act differently to him. They have different opinions than him, different rules that they abide by, and they are different to him in so many ways. This actually isn't a subtle observation. This is pretty stark in contrast. And yet here we see Jesus accepts this invitation not only to meet with Simon the Pharisee, but he actually sits down and shares this intimate meal with this guy. That's a pretty big deal right there. I mean, just imagine it for a second. Two very different people Here they are, sitting down together, sharing a meal of food with each other. That's a really interesting picture to think about. Um, I play social basketball with with a bunch of guys and um, love doing so. And some of these guys that I play with, they are Christians. Some of them uh, would say they believe in God, but they probably wouldn't call themselves Christians. And then there's other guys on on our team that that are non-Christians. And sometimes after we play a game, we'll, we'll hang out and we'll, we'll chat. We've all, all got young kids and so we, we've got a bunch of similarities and we'll chat. But sometimes the conversation goes places that I'm like, whoa, I, I don't think you really want to go there. And, and then we'll talk and, you know, we have different opinions about things and sometimes we see situations very differently and we'll voice those things, but that is okay. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we can become closed off to the idea of associating with non-Christians. And so much so that our circle of friends gets smaller and smaller until it can become kind of exclusively Christians, and we end up kind of living in this Christian bubble. Now, don't hear me wrong here, okay? It is absolutely good and healthy and important for us to prioritise relationships with other believers. I'm not saying that is not the case at all. I mean, we believe that so strongly as a church. We have 23 life groups that meet every single week together, fellow believers, to share and do life together and discuss God's Word. So I'm not saying, you know, that that we shouldn't have those relationships. Christian friendships are vital and important. But what we don't want to do is become closed off to friendships with non-Christians. So as Christians, we should be open to relationships with non-Christians and with others who are different from us. And that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to agree on everything about the way they live or their thoughts and their opinions. That's not what it's about. We don't need to agree on everything. You can actually still have a genuine friendship with someone that you don't agree with. When it comes to categorising people, we see Simon the Pharisee here has some pretty strong words. He's categorised this woman straight away. Simon the Pharisee desires purity. This is a good thing. But what does he say? He outright calls this woman a sinner. He says, 
this woman's unclean. And in doing this, he's categorized her. He keeps this woman at a distance from himself. He's saying, she's unclean. I don't agree with her lifestyle. I don't agree with her past. I don't agree with her opinions or the way that she holds herself. What does Jesus do? In this story, he does the complete opposite. Even though Jesus preaches and talks openly about sin, Jesus still associates with the sinful woman here. He doesn't isolate himself from sinners. Instead, Jesus shows us a very clear example that in order for the light to be able to shine in the darkness, the light must engage the darkness. We should be open to people and relationships that are different from us because how else can that light shine in the darkness? Now, because Jesus was a public figure, it's worth noting a few things about this particular setting and this meal. Um, The door to this meal would have likely remained open to other people. And so those people who are actually interested in hearing what the Pharisee and Jesus were saying were actually kind of welcome to come and sit on the edges of the room and hear what it is that they were talking about. And this is how the woman who is mentioned here in this story is actually able to engage or be a part of this dynamic. But instead of staying at the edge of the room, this woman comes right up to Jesus. And she stands behind his feet and she is outwardly weeping. Just picture this for a moment. She is weeping. These tears aren't just like kind of just trickling down her cheek, they are falling. She is weeping. So she's making a lot of noise and, and, and these, these tears begin to drop down and they drop down onto Jesus' feet. And then as they drop down onto his feet, she kneels down and then she gets her clean hair and she uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And then after that, she gets this expensive perfume, very expensive, costly to her, and she pours them on Jesus' feet to produce a, f- a fresh, sweet fragrance. Just think about that picture in the context of sitting around a table, sharing a meal with someone. It's quite a confronting image for everyone, but it's especially confronting for Simon the Pharisee. He can't help himself. He makes this comment that, you know, if Jesus knew, uh, if he was actually a prophet, he would know this woman's uh, touching him as a sinner. But then Jesus chooses to use a parable to teach Simon something. And he asks him, you know, which person will love the money lender more, the person who has a 500 denarii debt or a 50 denarii debt? And he says, the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, you've judged correctly. And in this moment, what Jesus has done in asking him this question is he's brought Simon the Pharisee into the spotlight. And then what does Jesus do? He then turns to the woman in this moment. And then he says the following in verse 44. He says, you see this woman here, Simon, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but this woman has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus brought both people into the picture, into the spotlight here, And there's this really explicit observation that he's made in comparing the Pharisee and the woman right before him. She has done these things for Jesus, he has not. And why is it that this woman is in this room 
doing this, being so vulnerable before everyone and doing this, these behaviours? Well, it's because she's been forgiven by Jesus. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, Jesus says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jacob DeShazer, I'll get the name right, he was a young serviceman. He enlisted in the American army in 1941 when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbour. Jacob hated the Japanese so much, he was one of the first to put his hand up. He's like, I want to get involved, I want to take them down. He wanted to wipe them out once and for all for what they had done. But this guy on his return flight back home to America, his, his plane ran out of fuel. They crashed in China and he was captured by Japanese and sent to a prisoner of war camp. And it was there where he was imprisoned for 40 months, and 34 of those months he was in solitary confinement. Three of his mates that he was travelling with at the time, they were executed, one starved to death. He was starved, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was labelled this war criminal, and he was sentenced to a life of imprisonment. And so for almost two years, this guy struggled with illness and torture, he froze in the winter, he baked in the summer. And at times he grew so angry at the guards that he worried about his own sanity, it says. But what this guy didn't know, that every day his mother was praying for him back home. He grew up in a Christian home, his father was a missionary, and Jacob asked a Japanese guard for a Bible, and he was reluctantly given to him for three weeks only. And years later, this is what he wrote. He said, I eagerly began to read its pages. I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that when I looked at the enemy officers and guards who had starved and beaten my companions so cruel and me so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. I realised that these people did not know anything about my Saviour and that if Christ is not in a heart, it is natural to be cruel. And in that moment, this guy made this promise to God and he said to God, if I survive this camp, God, I'm going to return to Japan and become a missionary. And so he heads back home when the war ends. He's a broken man, but he committed to that promise. He knew what God wanted. He went to Bible college and then in 1948, he and his wife returned to Japan and they ministered there for 30 years. Isn't that amazing? What was also as amazing was that they actually established a church in the very city that he had once bombed. So here's this man, his hatred for the Japanese was turned into love and concern and he spent his life, so much so, believing that, that he spent the rest of his life sharing this message of love and forgiveness. The sinful woman in this story that we're focusing on this morning, she demonstrates the forgiveness that she received through, from Jesus through the love that she showed in return to Him. She loved because she had been deeply loved and she had been deeply forgiven. Her actions were clear, and Jesus doesn't stop her from doing what it is that she's doing. In our lives, do we see sinful people uh, for, for who they have been, or for what God can make of them? 
Because I think this is a reminder that for you and I, we were once in their shoes too. We were once without faith. We are all in need of forgiveness. And that amazing grace that we sing about, that grace was poured into our lives. A guy named Daryl Bock has this quote. It says, it's important to love the lost, not in their lostness, but for the hope that amazing grace might come their way. See, Jesus sees those who are lost. He sees their potential for transformation. And God's fundamental way of transforming people isn't through creating a rule book for us to follow. It isn't through creating some, you know, seven-step method or any other sort of scheme or plan. No, Jesus' way of transforming people is through His grace and through His forgiveness. Grace is one of our five key values here at this church. It's kind of like a flavour that gives us our distinctness. And we believe this, that everyone is welcome here at our church. No matter what your past, you are welcome with us. You see, you don't need to have it all together in life. You don't need to have been wildly successful, popular, perfect, Verse 48, Jesus tells a sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, to end this passage, he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. What a powerful picture right there. This person who was outcast, this person who had this reputation that was so bad, this person that was not welcomed by Simon the Pharisee, that was finger-pointed at, Not only does Jesus welcome her, He offers her His grace and His forgiveness. And there was transformational power in that offer. So much so that here this woman leaves the dining table with what? With peace. This might be something that she has never experienced before in her life. But Jesus says, go in peace. Have a think about that. A little while ago, my family was invited to a relatively new friend's place for dinner. And we'd only known these people for a couple of months, um, and so we accepted the invitation. We went along thinking, okay, this is going to be a really great opportunity for us to get to know um, our newfound friends a bit more closely and spend some time over a meal uh, around the table with them together. Anyway, we turn up and we're having nibbles and drinks um, out in the back, and then uh, some of their other friends show up, and we're like, oh, this is good. Well, we get to, meet, uh, get to know them and get to meet some other new people. And then about five minutes later, another couple show up. And then half an hour passes, and a family comes through the door with kids. And we get talking, we get to, uh, talking about all different sorts of things, getting to know these people. And, and then I kind of step back and I realize there's something that we all have in common here as we're just chatting. We all don't know each other. This is a very interesting space to be in. So there was this mix of different people who had no previous connections. But not only that, there was actually some real differences between us in in multiple different ways. Um, And as we chatted and as we sat around the table together, I was struck by how beautiful that picture was. It's a table full of different people, some who actually might not have even felt welcomed by others in the past, some who had lived eventful lives, and yet here we all were, we were welcome, 
We all had a seat at the table. We all associated with each other. The differences weren't apparent when we sat down. And in that moment, I just had this overwhelming sense of God's deep love for everyone at that table. It was just this beautiful moment. See, as we welcome people into deep relationship, regardless of their past, and as we show them grace, we should hold on to the same hope for them that we have, the hope of Jesus, the hope of His transforming grace, His forgiveness that He offers to each and every one of us. I want to invite the musos to come up. And I want to encourage us, just as we close our time here in God's Word, because as a welcoming church, the way we welcome and who we welcome, it doesn't just happen here on Sundays when we gather together. We know that. We have this great opportunity to continue to be welcoming people in our neighbourhoods, in our sporting communities, in our local markets, in our schools, in our shopping centres, in our workplaces, you name it. We have that opportunity. We're in a month of hospitality, and I want to encourage you and almost challenge you maybe of something uh, this morning, and that is to consider welcoming someone over this month who might not be a Christian. Invite them over for a meal this month, as well as other believers. You might want to try and invite even a, a table full of a few different people, just like the example that I have. This is going to take effort. It won't be easy at times. There will be organisation but we are called to welcome others just like Jesus welcomed the sinful woman. We are all in that position of being at Jesus' feet. We've not earned His forgiveness, we've received His truly amazing grace in our lives. If you're listening this morning and you don't yet know that grace, God is offering that to you today. You know, Jesus paid the price for your sin when he went to the cross. He defeated that sin and he rose again. And now he offers grace to you, this undeserving gift. He offers you his forgiveness. He's paid the cost for your sins in advance. And it says in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. For some of you this morning, you may need to actually receive God's forgiveness in your life. Receive it afresh. Remember that price that He's paid for your sins. There is transformational power in God's grace and in God's forgiveness. And it's not about what we can do, to help those that are not yet Christ followers. We do our part, but it is about what our God can do. Amen? It's about His power. It's about the way that He works. So would we be willing vessels to do our part? Let's pray together. Yeah, just in this moment, God, we thank you for this example. We thank you, Jesus, 
that as you welcome this woman, this woman who was not welcome, you showed us what true love is. As you welcome this woman, you showed us how your forgiveness changes and transforms. And so God, we thank you that we can testify for that. That your grace and your forgiveness are transformational in our lives. May it lead to a place of love, deep love as you have loved. And for those who, who do not yet know your grace and your forgiveness, Lord, I thank you so much that you freely give it, you offer it, you welcome us to have a seat at your table. What a beautiful picture that is. Sitting at the banquet table with you, Jesus. So Lord, as we respond now in worship, Lord, would we, you know our hearts. Will we turn to you? Will we receive your forgiveness? Will we come to the altar? Your arms are open wide. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.